Well, if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Numbers chapter 6? Numbers chapter 6, where we're looking uh, for a second time at verse 22 to 27. Numbers chapter 6, verse 22 to 27. Okay, verse 22, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel And I will bless them. Please keep your Bibles open there. In 1979, Gabriel Barkai, who is one of the leading archaeologists in the land of Israel, and in my opinion, a national treasure, you'll often see him uh, on documentaries. He's a very, very well-informed guy, lovely guy. He was leading a group of amateur archaeologists, young people and even uh, young teenagers, on on a dig at a place uh, in the Hinnom Valley outside of Jerusalem. And they were looking at some old tombs, old Jewish tombs. And the reason they're looking at this is because in the olden days, when they used to bury the Jewish people, they would um, let the body decompose in the tomb, then they would come back and they would then put the body into uh, a casket or whatever, but they would then put in tombs things of personal possession and uh, family, uh, family objects uh, of interest and concern. And they were investigating these tombs and seeing what there was of history, because these tombs went back thousands of years, back to the earliest days in Israel's history that they had tombs for. And as they were looking in there, one boy, and I remember seeing Gabriel Barkai on a television program talking about this. He said he was the most annoying kid on the whole dig, and it would have to be him. But he made the find of not only a lifetime, but of, of uh, Gabriel Barkai's lifetime as well. He found two silver scrolls, two small silver scrolls. Now, these two small silver scrolls were, uh, were tightly bound up, and from 1979, it took 10 years to unfold them. Think about that, how long it took. 10 years to very gradually unfold them a bit, unfold them a bit more, unfold them a bit more, over time without damaging them. And they were able to unfold them and they were amazed to find they had early Hebrew writing on there. And it was actually the high priestly blessing that we have just read here in Numbers chapter 6. 
And it seems that this was something that was a treasured possession of this family that they put in the tomb of the loved one when they died. Now what's fascinating about this is two things. First of all is the accuracy of the translation with what we have here in our Bibles today. You often hear people say, oh you can't trust the Bible, the Bible's been changed over the years. You know, it's like Chinese whispers. Well the Dead Sea Scrolls killed that one, but so does this. Because this is even older than the Dead Sea Scrolls. And on this portion of the Bible, it's astoundingly accurate. That's the phrase the scholars use. There was an article published by Tyndale House, which I've got this picture from uh, 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 last year uh, on the matter. And it is amazingly accurate to our Bible translation. The other thing about it is, it tells us that the Jewish people latched on to this high priestly blessing very early on and saw in this something really precious, really beautiful that they themselves in their families wanted to uh, uphold and take value of. And it is a wonderful passage of scripture. It comes in the book of Numbers with the wanderings of the children of Israel and it comes among the commands of God following the Nazarite, those who are set apart to God and in it God gave a command which was to be given to Aaron and Moses was to tell Aaron and his sons that they were to bless the people of God in his name and uh, we know from Jewish tradition in in historical writings that the, uh, the priests did this at the end of the morning sacrifice and what they would do the high priest especially would lead the way he would come out and with his hands he would make the shape of the letter Shin, the Hebrew letter Shin, which is uh, the letter of the first letter of the name Shaddai, uh, the earliest name, one of the earliest names of God in the Old Testament, the, the one who is our, our beneficial provider and blesser. And uh, they would make this hand shape and they would then bless the people, saying these words over them at the end of the morning sacrifice and so it was a priestly blessing that was to be given and it's fascinating when you study it because in the Hebrew you'll notice there are uh, is a growing passage of scripture in the first line in Hebrew there are three words in the second line there are five words in the third line there are seven words And so this blessing seems to grow and you have this feeling of God's blessings getting greater and greater all the way through it. It's also fascinating to us as Christians because when the Lord Jesus Christ came to the end of his earthly ministry, what did he do after he rose from the dead? We read in Luke chapter 24 verse 50 that he led his disciples out to Bethany and then he lifted up his hands like the high priest And he blessed them. And the last act of the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry was to give the high priestly benediction, the high priestly blessing. Isn't that a fantastic thing? That tells us how important and significant it is. And uh, to this day, the Jewish people use this in uh, their synagogues. The, The priests 
are not, not priests anymore because they haven't got a temple. It's the rabbis. You've got to understand that rabbinical Judaism has replaced the temple Old Testament Judaism. And instead of a temple, they have a synagogue. Instead of a priest, they have a rabbi. And the rabbi gives the, uh, the blessing. This man, according to Israel Today magazine, is a Kohenim. He's one of the priestly families. And therefore, he is allowed to give the blessing in, in the minds of the Jews. And he actually works at a shop in, in a supermarket. And people love to go to his till. And after, after uh, he's paid, they've paid him for the money, they say, would you give me the blessing as well? You know? uh, because that's, that's what they love so much. Well, our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, gives us all blessings in God according to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. And it, this, this passage of scripture, I'm sure, was uh, the Old Testament with the New Testament in mind. Because if you look at it, you'll see the name the Lord comes three times in it. In verse 24, 25 and 26. And interestingly enough, in the Hebrew, there's a variation, a slight variation in each one of those names uh, of the Lord. It's still the Lord, but there's a variation in it. And surely that intends us to know that our God is one God, three in one, which we see here. And uh, we saw last time how some of these blessings were fulfilled. For the sake of those who weren't here last time, I just want to recap to bring us up to speed of what we've seen and see how this applies to us as well. The blessing begins with that phrase, the Lord bless you. And it's a beautiful phrase, that, not it? The Lord bless you. I don't know if you've thought about this, but it begins with the Lord. It ends with you. And there's nothing but blessing in between. <laughs> what a lovely thought. You and the Lord and nothing but blessing in between. And the Lord bless you was the first thing the Jewish people heard from the priest. Now you've got to bear in mind the priest is not the one who's blessing them. It's not the priest. The priest is only the mediator. He's only the one who's channeling the blessing. And he's doing it on the authority of God. As one commentator said, when we bless someone, it's nothing more than well-wishing or well-saying. But when the priest blessed in the name of God under God's command, it led to God's well-doing. And if you doubt that, look at the history of Israel and see how they have received God's blessing. Why is it? If you look at the uh, Nobel Peace Prize winners over the years, more of them have gone to Jewish people than anybody else. Why is it the Jewish people lead medical research? Why is it they're at the forefront of military technology? Why is it that they're at the forefront of banking? Why is it they're at the forefront of every industry, everything you can think of? Entertainment, science. Albert Einstein was a, was a Jewish person. Why? I'll tell you why. Because they're blessed. God put his blessing on them. And uh, the blessing was real when it came to them. And the Lord bless you was given to them. And praise God, the Lord bless you comes to us as well. We are truly blessed in Jesus Christ. And there are tangible blessings that will last for time and eternity for the child of God. And then it moves on to the second place to talk about the Lord keep you. In verse 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. Now, what does keep you mean? Well, keep you means to protect you, to protect you, to keep you from harm. 
I came across these stunning pictures of, of near misses in a book recently. I've just chosen two of them. But do you see what that is? That is a wrecking ball from a crane, you know, where they're knocking down buildings. And in America, this wrecking ball came loose off the crane and it went bouncing down the road. It destroyed two cars and it went into the back of a car that was in in motion and it stopped there. Do you know that guy had eight soccer footballs in the back? And they reckon that absorbed the, the movement and saved the guy's life. He was kept. He was kept. That's what it means. If you think that's amazing, have a look at this one. This one's from China. The guy in front had a van full of these rods. He breaks suddenly. All the rods came off the back into the full of the car. Do you know the guy in that car got out without a scratch? How does that happen? He was kept. Didn't stop bad things happening, but he was kept, wasn't he? And you know, this is what it means when it says the Lord bless you and keep you. It means the Lord will preserve you. The Lord will preserve you. And if you look at the nation of Israel, they have been kept and preserved. They've had Hitlers and Holocausts. They've had uh, popes and pogroms. They've had Arabs and anti-Semitism against them all these years. And Israel is still there. They've been kept and they will be there till the end of time because they're a kept people. And spiritually that applies to us as well. We're blessed and we are kept. The Lord keeps those who he saves. I love those verses in in John chapter 10 where the Lord Jesus said that none shall pluck you from my father's hand. None shall pluck you from my hand. We're kept people by the Lord our God, which is a wonderful comfort to us to know, isn't it? And then thirdly, uh, it says, the Lord make his face shine upon you. And we noted last time that uh, Israel's God is not like the gods of the heathens, which had idols, which had metal faces or, or clay faces or whatever. But they, they worshipped an invisible God. So talking about God's face is an unusual thing for the Jewish people to think of. But God does have a face and he makes his face shine upon us and his face shining is a picture of favor is a picture of favor someone's face shines upon you uh it's favor on you if you want a picture of somebody who had the smiling face of god upon them look at joseph (laughs) joseph had a tough life didn't he but you know everywhere he went god made his face shine upon that boy He went even in prison and he was blessed and he ended up going to the throne. Or look at Daniel. Daniel, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the empire, the Babylonian, bowed down before Daniel. Made him the next ruler in the country. And he was a slave. Think of that. That's because God made his face shine upon them. And God's face shines upon us in Jesus Christ. And actually, if you think about it, literally, God's face shines. We were talking about this this morning in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, didn't we? That the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. The Mount of Transfiguration, what Paul saw on the road to Damascus, and so on. And the Lord makes his face shine upon us. And we have favour with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's where we've got up to. Now we come to the last three. And the last three are, in my opinion, all gospel. So we're going to really enjoy these tonight. But number four is this in verse 
25, the last part of verse 25, and be gracious to you. And be gracious to you. And uh, by the way, you'll notice that these blessings here correspond to the New Testament benediction, which we have, which we often close our service with, from 2 Corinthians 13. The Lord bless you and keep you. No, sorry. Uh, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Well, in the grace, we see the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the first part, we see the love of the Father. In the last part, we see the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So it corresponds beautifully. But graciousness is what God wants to, to be to Israel. And it goes from God's face in the first part of verse 25 to God's grace in the last part of verse 25. And God says he wants to be gracious to Israel. And uh, he is gracious to Israel. What people is there who tested the Lord as much as Israel did? Think of even those wilderness wanderings and yet God still spared them and still loved them. Despite the judgments and chastisements he brought on them, he kept showing them his grace. And that's why in the New Testament, when we come to the John's gospel, John says, we have all received grace for grace. We've all received grace for grace. Because God's grace comes to us. It comes like waves of the sea, one after the other. And actually, if you look at it in, from a Jewish point of view, that verse, they think of the grace. We had grace in the Old Testament, but now we have even more grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of us tend not to think of the Old Testament as being uh, a book of grace, but it is. It has phrases about the grace in the wilderness, the grace God showed them in the wilderness. And God was gracious to Israel, even as he said here. And grace is God's undeserved kindness. Well, if he showed them undeserved kindness in the Old Testament, he shows us undeserved kindness in the New Testament even more so. And what wonderful grace we have through the blessing of God, through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have saving grace. That's where it begins, isn't it? Ephesians 2 verse 8. That, you, you know, we are not saved by our own works. We're not saved by anything we do, but we're saved by the grace of God alone. And I remember uh, trying to explain that to a, a dear old, old lady who wasn't used to church. And she looked at me and she said, what do you mean? At the meal time. And I had to explain to her, no, not that type of grace where we're saying thank you for our food. But grace is God's undeserved kindness, his mercy to us, not giving us the punishments we deserve and blessing us with what we don't deserve to have in its place. And it comes freely. Uh, on one occasion, C.S. Lewis was uh, meeting with some other friends who were scholars and they were having a debate. And when he turned up late at the meeting uh, or at the gathering, they were all having a real, a real debate. And he turned up and he said, right, guys, he said, what's the rumpus about? And they said, well, we're having a debate. What is the uniqueness of Christianity compared to other religions? And C.S. Lewis just got it like that. He said, oh, that's easy. It's grace. And he was absolutely right. You won't find grace in any other religion. Every other religion, you've got to keep and do and be in order to get God's favour. But when we come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, God shows us grace. But that's not the end of his grace to us. 
That's the beginning of his grace. That's saving grace. But then it goes on and we have serving grace. Do you remember Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 said that he worked harder than all the other apostles, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. And the grace of God empowered him to be able to serve the Lord. You know, sometimes in the prayer meeting we say, oh Lord, send us more workers, send us more workers. And God says, I'll send you more grace. So you can work harder. Not quite the answer I always want. <laughs> but, it, you know, that's what God wants to do. That's what God wants to do. It's his, his, his wisdom and power to do. And he gives us the power to serve, that grace to serve. He gives us as well strengthening grace. If you think of Paul's word to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1, you, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Sometimes in the Christian life, we have to go through tough things, don't we? Sometimes we have to uh, face down some situations. Sometimes we have to grit our teeth and, uh, and press on. And sometimes the journey in, in the journey of the Christian life is an uphill one. And we need to be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Well, God's grace comes and strengthens us. But Hebrews 13 tells us that grace doesn't come through foods. (laughs) It doesn't come through that. It comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't come through the sacrificial meals. It comes through God's goodness to us. And then perhaps our least favorite of all, but one I think we need, and that's suffering grace. Suffering grace. You know what Paul heard from the Lord in 2, Chronicles, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12? He heard God say to him, my grace is sufficient for thee. And that was for when Paul was enduring a time of suffering. And he asked God three times to remove his thorn in the side. But God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. I, I read the story of a pastor who had a, a personal tragedy in his family. I won't go into what it was, but it was a heartbreaking tragedy. And the poor man was broken in tears. And he was sat at his desk weeping. And he saw from some sermon notes or something, he'd written out this verse. And it said, my grace is sufficient for thee. And he said, Lord, that's what I need. That's what I need. I I ask you to give me more of that grace that's sufficient for thee. And you know what? He felt as if the Lord was saying, the Lord said, I can't do that. And it was as if he turned to the Lord and said, why not? He said, because you're missing what the verse says. It says, my grace is sufficient for thee. And he'd never seen the word is before. <laughs> he'd always say, Lord, it's got, you know, uh, more grace would make it more sufficient. But God says, my grace is sufficient. What an amazing thing then God's grace is to be sufficient for every enduring trial. And God be gracious. The Lord be gracious to you was one of the wonderful blessings that was put on Israel. I want to tell you, dear friends, there's nobody here tonight who doesn't need God's grace. But I've got encouragement for you. That grace is yours. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you. God will be gracious to you. Somebody says, ah, but you don't understand my difficult situation. Then God be gracious to you. Somebody says, oh, but you see, I'm very backslidden. Well, then God be gracious to you. 
You say, ah, oh, well, you see, I'm, uh, 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 I've got big challenges and big ministry calls. Well, God, be gracious to you. There's nothing God's grace can't cover, is there? What a wonderful part of the blessing this is. What is it that the, the poet Johnston said? Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. You who are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? God, the Lord, be gracious to you. And that brings us then to the next blessed part of the blessing in verse 26, which is the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Now we need to ask ourselves at this point, what does he mean by his countenance? What is meant by the phrase his countenance? His countenance means his face, his face. And uh, this corresponds to that earlier part of the blessing in verse 25, when it says, the Lord make his face shine upon you. It's almost a repeat of that, but it's a little bit beyond that. And you find this in Hebrew poetry. It'll make a statement and then it'll go just a bit beyond that in the following statement. It's a particular type of Hebrew poetry you'll see in the Psalms. But the Lord lift up his countenance upon you is talking about God lifting up his face on you. You know, the countenance of a person tells you how they relate to you. In the Bible, we read about Daniel, and uh, I understand the children were doing this from the, uh, uh, their, the, when they come to me for sweets in the morning. I asked them, what were you doing? And they did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love that story, don't you? But you know what? There's that terrifying bit before they get thrown in the fiery furnace, when they come and stand before Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar says, what's this, boys? What's this I hear? You're not going to bow down? And they say, no. And you know what it says? His countenance changed towards them. Whoa, what a frightening thing. The king of all the earth and face and his face goes angry. What a lot is in that. Well, read that in reverse and you have the Christian blessing. His countenance has changed towards us. It's gone from being displeasure because of our sin to lifting his head, lifting his eyes and looking upon us. And, and it's, a, it's a warmth, it's a reception that comes to us. Now, for Israel at the moment, I want to say this is not a blessing Israel is enjoying at the moment. I want to show you this. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy and chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31. Just the next book along and verse 16. Again, this is the great uh, closing words of Moses before he went up uh, Pisgah and died at Mount Nebo, the site. And verse 16, he said, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land, where they go to be among them, and they will forsake me. And break my covenant which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day. And I will forsake them. And listen to this. And I will hide my face from them. And they shall be devoured. 
and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us. And I will surely hide my face in that day, because of all the evil which they have done, in that they have turned to other gods. And at the moment, God's face is hidden from Israel because Israel is out of fellowship. She's not out of relationship with God. She's still the people of chosen people of God, but she's in a broken relationship with God because she's out of fellowship with him on account of rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? A lot of Jewish people know that. I read a story about a, a, a pastor who had a rabbi friend and uh, he was giving him a lift into town one Saturday. He was being a Shabbos guy. He was driving him to the synagogue as he was going into town. And he dropped him uh, off outside the synagogue. And the pastor uh, said to, uh, the the rabbi said to the, the pastor, you know, it does feel sometimes as if God isn't with us like he used to be. And uh, the pastor took that as an opportunity and he said, yes. He said, do you think that's because you've rejected your Messiah? And the rabbi got out the car and closed the door and said, maybe, maybe. And that's, that's all we know of the story. But he began to realize, you know, that God isn't with them like he was in the Old Testament. Again, the relationship isn't broken, but he's hiding his face from them at this time. But the day is going to come in the future when Israel repents and God will lift up his countenance upon them and it will be a reconciliation between Israel and her God. They've come back to the land. They've got to come back to the Lord and come back in repentance and they will do. The Bible tells us that in Zechariah chapter 12. And we're praying for that too. But this is what this means. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. It means to be brought into a a position of reconciliation and blessing through that. It's not just to have God's face shining upon you. It's to have the manifestation of that in a relationship where you are right with God. And you are walking with him in his word. And that's a blessing that each one of us wants to have. May God lift up his countenance upon us. You know, that's what the psalmist said at the end of Psalm 4. At the end of Psalm 4, he said this. He said, there are many who say who will show us any good. Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You've put gladness in my heart more than in season that their grain and wine increased. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You see that? He said, Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us and all these other blessings will flow. And if you go home tonight, a Christian who's forgiven, reconciled and walking with God, you can go home knowing you're going home. God's face is on you. His countenance is lifted up towards you. There's nothing standing between you and the Lord. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect, said Paul? (laughs) None. It's Christ Jesus who judges and he's the saviour. <laughs> so you have that unique blessing. And then finally, the last part of the blessing is 
and give you peace. Give you peace in verse 26. One scholar has commented that the, uh, the blessing climaxes on this with this word shalom, peace, which to the Jewish person is everything. If you go to the land of Israel, you'll hear the word peace spoken all the time, shalom. It's their greeting and it's what they're looking for so much, isn't it? Sadly, it is escaping them at the moment because they're looking for peace in circumstances and you'll only find peace in Christ. You won't find peace in circumstances. But when the Prince of Peace comes into your life, then you will know peace. Sometimes God calms the storm. Sometimes God calms his child. And uh, that's when God gives us his peace. And what can peace do for you? You know, Dr. Robert Oppenheimer was the man who invented the atomic bomb. And we're all worried about that again now, aren't we? And somebody said to him, is there a defense against the atomic bomb? And he turned around and he said, yes, there's one. Peace. That's the defense against the atomic bomb, peace. Now, if that's the defense against the atomic bomb, what can peace do in your heart? How much of a blessing is that? Well, when you come to the Lord and walk with the Lord and you you know the Lord as your saviour, you remember the Lord Jesus said in John 14, verse 27, I I give you my peace. Not as the world gives you do I give you, but uh, I'll give you my peace. And Isaiah 26, verse 3 reminds us that God keeps at peace those whose mind is stayed on him. So if you want that peace, take that blessing by focusing on him and putting your trust in him in the midst of all life's challenges. You know, when we think about that scroll being hidden away in that family tomb, those people knew something, didn't they? They knew a treasure when they saw it. And this is a treasure, not the metal object, but the words that were written on it. The blessing that the high priest gave on Israel and the blessing which we receive through the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 27 ends, so they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. And God has put his name on us. We are Christians. We have his name on us, Christ. And in him we have been blessed. The hymn writer said, bless us all, both old and young. Call forth praise from every tongue. Let this whole assembly prove all thy power and all thy love. We give God the glory. Amen.